This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 142nd edition of the Sports Untold podcast. Also on Rainier Avenue Radio, my special desk today is University of Washington football legend Eric B. Ortson. Eric also had about a five-year run as a professional NFL player. Eric, we'll get back to you in a minute. My podcast is now on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbeam. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net. Uh, if you just click Sports Untold YouTube, you can see a lot of the audio vi- versions of the show. Uh, I encourage my, my listeners to, to check out my show on the different outlets. My producer I've had since early this year is Olivia Coyne. Olivia is doing a great job, and she is the daughter of Ben Coyne. And Ben is an old friend of mine, and Ben is the co-host today. Ben has a long tie to Eric B. Ortson, and I thought it'd be fun to have a, a good friend co-host today. Uh, ben also, this is the second time he's been a co-host. I had been on with uh, former Major League Baseball player Bill North a couple of years ago. We had a great time, so it's great to have Ben back as a co-host. I've had a few other co-hosts uh, over the years having a good time. Well, Eric, I promise I'll get back to you. Uh, Eric Bjornsson is a Husky football legend. He was a wide receiver and a quarterback for the Huskies. Eric's a part of that great 91 national championship team. Eric led the Huskies with 49 receptions, I believe, his senior year. Uh, Eric was also starting quarterback for three games in his Husky career. Eric played for the Cowboys, the 95-99, played for the Patriots for a year. Eric played in the Super Bowl. So I got to tell you something, Eric. As a player, you could throw, you could run, you could pass, you could block. Are you like the Shehi Atani of, of uh, football players, Mr. Bjornsson? I'd say as maybe Jack of many trades, master of none. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I, I firmly believe most quarterbacks could play receiver. It's really just a speed factor because they can all catch. They play catch their whole lives. Every quarterback, you play catch them, they have really good hands. Speed, you know, they don't all have the speed. Fortunately, I was fast enough, and I knew the offense, and I was good friends with my quarterback. And, you know, my senior year, we had an All-American tight end and an All-American running back, so I got a lot of single coverage and, you know, just kind of worked out in my my, uh, favor. So I've been pretty lucky throughout my career. Been in the right place at the right time more than more than once for sure. Well, maybe I'll, I'll dub you with a new nickname, the Football Otani, just just for fun. <laughs> well, Eric, I really appreciate coming on the Sports Untold podcast. It's been a real pleasure to have, but you and a bunch of your uh, UW contemporaries uh, on, and, and it's just great having you uh, you come on, Eric. We're just going to go back and forth. Lots of questions. Say Ben and I have um, some questions, and we're just going to have fun and. Uh, yeah, go back and forth. Eric, why don't you start growing up in, I think, the Bay Area? How did you get the football bug? And tell us about your decision to attend the University of Washington. And what was your second choice? What what school was the runner-up to you attending back in those days? But start with your kind of growing up and how you got the bug as a kid. Good question. And it's a good thing in this podcast format allows for long answers because uh, it is it is a bit nuanced. But Football-wise, you know, Bay Area is probably somewhat similar to Seattle, I think, in that some communities, there's not really tackle football. In fact, our governor just vetoed a a, a movement to actually ban tackle football, I think, before, below the age 12. Um, I didn't play tackle football until high school. I was a basketball player. I played all sports growing up, but basketball was my passion. I was good at it. I was tall, you know, and then I got to high school and and – I played, I didn't even play much. I think I started one game of quarterback my freshman year, but then I had a coach that really sort of advocated for me and and saw that I had potential. And he just kind of took me under his wing and he really helped me get, 
you know, recruited. And I started three years in high school as a quarterback. So kind of became, you know, maybe sophomore year is like, well, you're six, five center. Um, that's probably not what colleges are looking for, but you're also a six, five quarterback and can move a little. So it became clear that I had a high, higher ceiling at, at football and more potentially get recruited as football, but it wasn't my first love. Um, so this just kind of worked out that way uh, from a, from a, you know, choosing my sport, so to speak. When the recruiting process started, my coach asked me to lay out, you know, 15 schools. And this is back when you had to like put together VHS of highlights and mail it off to the <laughs> schools, you know, and he did that for me. And he, you know, is pretty, he's just a generous guy and always, he's still coaching, believe it or not. Um, so my schools at the end of the day, my five visits whittled down to um, Oregon was my first visit. And Oregon was not Oregon that they are today. You know, it was Rich Brooks. They didn't, they, the, the facilities were just starting to break ground. Um, the weight room was worse than my high school weight room. My high school weight room was pretty bad. Uh, so it wasn't really even a consideration, candidly, to go to Oregon. My next trip was USC, and they were just coming off three Rose Bowls. Um, they had Todd Marinovich as their quarterback. Uh, and the feeling was, you know, this guy's probably going to come out early. You could come in and even if he stays for, uh, I guess he just finished his retro freshman year. He'll probably come out early, you know, maybe have a chance to compete in a, in a year or two. Um, and they, and they, the way it's funny, you know, I still think they kind of do this, but in recruiting, like they basically said, we're offered we're, with five quarterbacks. We're offering all the scholarship. First one to take it gets it. And it was like, well, how do I, you know, I don't want to be the guy holding the bag without, or, or, you know, missing out on this. So I'm like, geez, you know, this is USC. How do I not just like take advantage of this? And, and, uh, and, and on a call with the guy recruiting me after my trip, I made the comment, like, I, I feel like I, I need to, you know, perhaps commit, you know, before someone else does. And he said, well, it's a big decision, you know, take your time and think about it. <laughs> and I was like, if this guy really wants me, don't you think he would have probably closed the deal? I just kind of teed it up for him. And then maybe a day or two later, he's like, I, you know, the head coach starts calling me. I misunderstood. We want you so bad, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, that's so weird. And I guess I was like, you know, maybe I, make, I almost made a hasty decision. And probably they had me ranked, right? I mean, how could you not? You got five guys, great. Probably I was third or fourth. Who knows where I was? But I didn't get the sense I was the first choice. <laughs> so... To, you know, I would, I, my, my, I, interesting on my third trip. I mean, I told you it's a long answer. My third trip was Duke. And Duke was more, I was a huge Duke basketball fan. Uh, just, you know, tried to focus more on the school component of it. Obviously, a really good school. They, they were actually just coming off the ACC co championship under Coach Steve Spurrier. And uh, Spurrier just taking the job with Florida. So I took my trip to Duke and it was, it was awesome. I, I could have easily gone there. But they didn't even have a head coach on my trip. So it was like just a weird trip. I mean, and one thing that stood out to me was what well, was pretty awesome. I got to go to Duke basketball game. This is, you know, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, you know, Ab, uh, uh, Abdul Nabi. Remember that guy? Uh, yeah. Uh, Robert Bricky. I mean, this is, you know, the younger listeners aren't going to know any of these names, but they played Georgia Tech, Kenny Anderson, Dennis Scott. It was awesome. And it's funny on, on recruiting trips. You don't really want to host. Hosting a recruit is not great. You get a free meal, great. Then you got to, you know, 
host some entitled high school kid who's probably there to take your job. You know, you're kind of screwing up your Friday, Saturday nights by taking out some high school kids. So it's not a, you know, you get asked to recruit. I never wanted to do it. At Duke, you get a free ticket to the basketball game, so everybody wants to do it. Um, so that was super cool. But I one, one thing I remember coming away from it was it was Super Bowl Sunday, and I was like, and one of the players we watched first half in his in his uh, room at his house or dorm or whatever. Halftime, let's go get some food, and we went out and we passed this huge basketball, like huge playground basketball court with like six basketball, full basketball courts. And there was probably 700 people out there playing basketball on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm like, this is not about a football school. Um, so interesting. So I came away from that trip. Again, sorry if I'm going on long, but, you know. No, you it's know, great. Right? So came away from that trip and uh, was thinking, gosh, I can't decide. You know, Duke, USC, Duke, USC. And my dad, who was very involved in the process, like, just take a trip to Washington. Just clear your head. You're not going to go to Washington. <laughs> and you can come out with a fresh perspective and maybe have some more in, insight to where, what makes the most sense. And I did. And it was just like, one thing I tried to take to do my best to remove football from the equation. What if football doesn't work out? I don't even know if I'm good enough. Where would I want to be as a student? Right. So I went to Washington and it just kind of blew me away. Like this is just the energy, the the excitement. I had a really close friend, DeMarco Farr. He wasn't a close friend. He was a guy I played against in high school and we, we knew each other. And I really respected the guy and he, and I remember we were just like up late in the hotel one night and he's like, you know what? We're going to be really, really good next year. Like we are going to kill USC next year. And I was like, they just won the Rose bowl. What are you talking about? You guys went to the freedom bowl, but I, I was kind of sold on it. And I came away thinking and told my parents, like first thing I got on the phone, I was like, this place is awesome. I really, and I mean, really the schools I mentioned, my fifth trip was Arizona state. Uh, of the schools that I was choosing from, it was by far the worst opportunity to play. I mean, Billy Joe was there. Mark Brunel was there. They were only a year, two years ahead of me. And, uh, but I, again, tried to remove football from the equation. And then I sort of came down to Washington and Duke. I went to bed one night. I was like, I think I'm going to Duke. Woke up the next day. And I was like, I don't know what it is, but I just, I think Washington's a place for me. And made that decision. Called Mike Martz, who was recruiting me at Arizona State. And I was Arizona State's number one recruit. That's how dumb those coaches were. And <laughs> I, I, I had switched my trip to the back end because I knew it was like my last choice. And called Mike March said I'm canceling my trip, and he lit me up, dropping f bombs, and you know I was like a 17 year old kid, wow. like, you know, getting yelled at by an old, by an old man. Wow. <laughs> like, sorry, man. And then I remember I saw him. I was with the Cowboys. I saw him. He was coaching with the Redskins, and I saw him like pregame. You know, he's kind of milling around the 50. You know, you're kind of on your half of the field and that kind of motion like wave. And I don't know if he didn't remember who I was or he was still he was still holding the grudge, but he turned his back for me. <laughs> like, oh. Probably didn't notice, but I was like, whatever, he has a jerk. That's hilarious. <laughs> so is that long enough for you? Olivia, you got oh, it's great. Hey, go ahead, get get a get a couple, get some follow-ups. Yeah. Um, let's see here. On the college theme, talk about talk about uh the demands of of being a college athlete with balancing that with school and film and study and social and studying football and all of that what what would be like a a week or a you know i don't know how you'd answer just talk to the demands of time on a kid in college yeah i mean it was um 
it was a lot. And I lived in a fraternity, which I'm not sure they really encouraged that or allow that. Don James was cool with it at the time. Um, you know, the, the, it sort of depends on the season, but you know, fall, you know, you're, you, your summers are short because, you know, Washington starts school so late, but you're in there, you know, in July, you know, getting ready training camp for like five weeks, basically until, until school starts, you have full, like two home games by the time students show up. So we live in the crew house the whole time. Once school starts, you know, it was for the most part, it was, you're down in the football offices by like one meeting with your position coach. You have time to get in a lift before, you know, often in the season you do it after, but you know, you're, you're getting taped you're on the field and you're watching film after. And so like, you know, dinner and then like we get home at seven 30. So it's pretty much like one to seven 30. I don't know if they change it up. I feel like they do a lot of stuff now before school um, where they're early, early morning. We had some of that. I'm just trying to think. And then the winter, winter's a little less taxing, but a lot more time in the weight room. There's a full-blown structured conditioning period, but a lot of like your weight workouts are just substantially more than during the fall. Um, you know, travel days, whether you're home or away, you're in a hotel Friday night, which is nice because you don't want to be in the fraternity when there's, you know, stuff going on. So that worked out well. Springtime, um, you know, during the month of spring ball, it's just like kind of a practice week without without games. But we always had games on Saturdays, too. Uh, so juggling was juggling. It was hard. I always stayed in the summers to just get more work. And everyone, most guys did, especially a quarterback or receiver. Um, the thing that became very difficult for me was I was a pre-med student, which is stupid because now I have like working insurance. But I was pre-med for like three and a half years. So I was technically a biology major. And what really became almost impossible was the, you have to take these the labs that that are like one credit, they're like three and a half hours, and you can't take them in the fall or the, or the spring um, because of the time commitment. Uh, and so I would fall behind on the labs. And and only time you could take them was the winter, you'd try to stack up and take a couple of them. But, you know, three and a half hours, is you can only get so many in, you still have to take 12 credits. So that became a problem. And uh, I don't want to say that was the reason I bailed on biology, but um that it just became you know i think i would imagine depending on your major and the classes and timing it probably becomes harder for guys to have certain areas of focus for me that was that was difficult um so yeah so it's just tough. i think i think even now the time commitments are more so yeah um than they were back then so it, it's just it's tough to do both man i don't know how, how guys do it i'm not watching watch a guy on and you hear him he's you know pre-med and he's graduating this it's just like what an ach achievement when yeah. you watch kids do this stuff huh yeah yeah maybe. yeah if i could go back i'd be a business major or something maybe i feel like the business majors didn't seem to study that hard they never had they never had class on friday our friend charles is a business major ben i mean that guy had a great college life and he's doing quite well for himself so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i always have to be those guys <laughs> I never knew you were pre-med, Eric, for a while. You know, you, you, that, that's a that's a very tough major for an NCAA Division One athlete. You know, one thing I love about interviewing, you learn something new in, in every show for sure. So, okay, I'm going to package two questions in here. All right. Um, what was your favorite moment as a Husky player? And who is your favorite Husky football player in history? Wow, you know, it's good questions. Both both good questions. The things that stand out, I mean, me personally, when we beat Miami my senior year, that was pretty special because we didn't have a bowl game. We were on probation. Prior to that, though, I mean, 
the, the year, the my first year we beat USC 31-0, you know, all I saw was purple game. That was such a magnificent moment in the history of the program. People still think about it, you know, talk about it today. And I remember being, I remember going into the game as, you know, I was right out of high school. I was like, USC is number four in the country. We're going to get smoked. And we just, you know, we're up 24-0. I think it was 24-0 at halftime. And I remember sitting, I, you know, you, you sort of congregate in the locker room by position. I was sitting next to Brunel. And he's like, this is going to be one of the greatest wins in the history of this school. And I was like, it's only halftime, big boy. <laughs> <laughs> but we shut him out, 31-0. And I just remember being in, the, you, you enter the team room after the game. And the coordinators are up in the booth. So they get down. They're like the last ones in the room, right? And it's Gilby and Lambright. And Gilby's the O-line coach and the offense coordinator. When he entered that room, I mean, the, like group of offensive linemen just tackled him basically and were just like, it was so great. And then Lambo comes in and Hoffman like lifts him up. Like it was, it was unbelievable. So that was very, I don't know. That's one that stands out for me. It's just like, man, this program is really going places now. Um, I The favorite Husky question, I after the national title game, this recent one, I ended up in a hotel with my good friend Joe Krolik, um, Billy Joe Holbert. We spent time with him. It was a great time. All, a bunch of 91 guys were there. Uh, Dave Janoski. We sat with Elise Woodward. Just She just kind of came in late from the game. And Bob Rondo, we like had dinner with Bob Rondo. It was like one o'clock in the morning and his wife. And someone said, who's your favorite Husky of all time? And I think Steve Emmett was the best, probably the best player of all time. My favorite Husky as a fan is Marcus Tuyas Sopo. And Rondo was with me on that one. Everyone else had a different answer. But uh, he was he's my favorite. He was just unbelievable. Your, your friend and former teammate Mario Bailey answered Warren Moon to that question. Yep. See, I didn't. I, I I love Warren Moon. I just I didn't see Warren Moon play for the Huskies. I've seen like grainy highlight videos of him, but you know Mario probably grew up watching him. I did not. First Huskies game I saw on TV was probably the Freedom Bowl against Florida in my senior year in high school. Go ahead, Ben. Talking about the switch from QB to to wide receiver was um, you know. How hard was it? You just kind of addressed it a little bit earlier. And then did thoughts of transfer come into your head? Um, you know, if so, where? Yeah. Um, also, great question. I uh, So I got third string quarterback my first year, my second year. We go to the Rose Bowl both years. Hey, third year, you're doing good stuff, but like you're not going to beat these guys out, right? So do you want to try another position? I said, absolutely. I just want to play. Um, and so I switched to receiver, never played receiver in my life, but again, it kind of came easy to me. I kind of knew what, you know, just some, a lot of the stuff that was difficult was just getting off the ball against like some press coverage, things like that. Um, and it was really fun. I mean, it was really kind of the most enjoyable time playing football. Quarterback's great when it's going great, but it's a lot of pressure. Just, just didn't feel any pressure playing receiver and, and uh, fortunately, there was opportunity to play. I was kind of the third guy. We played a lot of three wide receiver sets and four, even four sometimes. So it came pretty natural to me, and I enjoyed it. And then when Billy and uh, Mark both had left after that year, went back to quarterback, and 
And then my senior year, I just wanted to play. You know, me and Damon sp- split time. Like you said, started three games. They weren't great games. Uh, I just wanted to play my senior year. And so I went back to receiver and it worked out to my advantage. But, but yeah, transfer wise, yeah, actually, after that second year, I flew back to Ann Arbor with my parents. The coaches at Michigan had some informal dialogue with my high school coaches and said, you know, Elvis Gerbach's leaving. We'd love to, you know, we'd love to have him out of here. I mean, I don't know how you can't, it was so different. You know, you can't have direct dialogue with coaches. So I just had to get informal. We just flew out there and checked out the campus and looked around and, and uh, you know, if, if it, if the climate, if the environment was the way it is today, I probably would have left. I mean, I had to sit out a whole year and I was still considering it because I wanted to play. I didn't know Billy was going to leave a year early, but I also knew that Damon Hewitt was behind me. Um, so yeah, I, I would have left. I mean, at the end of the day, I stayed because I loved the school. I loved, you know, the guys I was around and and I'm glad I did stay. And I think it's unfortunate in this, you know, we're kind of probably jumping to a topic you're going to touch on, but it's just unfortunate now because I think a lot of guys make Casey's decisions and leave and leave, not knowing that things might work out to your advantage. If you just stay. So it, 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 on the other hand, if this environment existed today, I wouldn't have been as successful as I, as I was because my senior year, we didn't have any receivers. <laughs> you know, we had Dave Janoski was a, I think a red shirt sophomore, but like there was a huge drop off. There wasn't a lot of depth there. And they would have pulled in some transfers and I would have probably been out, you know, I didn't light it up early in training camp. It, t- it was a, it was a progression. So I benefited from the lack of, you know, transfer. Um, but I think I probably would have made a, a decision. I would have left for sure. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You, you, you could have had some Wolverine blood in you, but uh, as a... you know, that, that would have been a mistake too, though, because like Todd Collins was a really good quarterback. No one knew who he was, but that's who I would have been competing with. And I didn't know who he was, but how do you, you know, without the internet and all the, all the knowledge we have now, how do you know? I, I love just hearing all the, the Elvis Gerback and Mike Martz, all these names. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's right in my wheelhouse. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul, you want me to go with another one? Or you got one? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I'm just curious about Don, Don James. Um, he was always just watching all growing up. He was so calm and just on the sideline. Did he ever in the, in the, in the locker room, just, you see the light, light he lights some people up or any, any stories, any Don James stories, or what are your memories? He of would, He would get fiery. He was, he was definitely a quiet, you know, everyone's so afraid of him. You know, he'd sit up in his tower during practice Occasionally he'd pull out the bullhorn and I don't think he ever said my name on the bullhorn. That would have been, I don't even know what I would have done. Um, he just had a presence about him. I remember one time I was sitting, you know, quarterbacks were in the front row, I was sitting next to Brunel. I just had, I don't know why I just kind of forgot where I was and I was chewing gum and I, <laughs> I blew a huge bubble <laughs> and, and it popped and Brunel went, like, looked at me like, are you crazy? And, and DJ paused and looked at me and I was like, and he just was like, this, that's not worth it. I'm going to move on. But he didn't give me that glare. Like, in the crosshairs. I mean, you could hear a pin drop in his meetings. Um, no one was, if you were late, I mean, gosh, there was the worst thing in the world being late for a meeting. One time I got caught behind 
you know, I wasn't used to living in the area. I got caught behind a couple bridges that went up and uh, I was late. I was never late again in, in my entire career. Um, he would get, he would get fiery once in a while though. Um, I remember the, I remember one time after the national championship game, we or you know, the world's bowl, we won the national title and they dumped Gatorade on him. And, uh, he had a cold apparently. And he was like, don't you know I'm sick? And everyone like guys jumped back 30 feet. Like <laughs> it was after we won <laughs> and they came in the locker room. He's like, Sorry for those of you yelled at. I've been sick all week, and you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what a, a coach Don James was. So I, I want to help help us measure this something, Eric, and I, I want to get your perspective as a former Husky and a former NFL player. Um, I'm kind of hearing two schools of thought about Kalen DeBurr leaving. I hear the one school of thought that he was a great coach, a once in a generation coach and a phenomenal job in his two years at Washington and having him leave is really going to affect the program. I hear a counter approach that he got lucky getting Penix. His first two years may not be indicative of what he would be long-term. He also won with a bunch of Peterson and Lake recruits. How do you measure DeBurr leaving, do, do you look at it? It's a huge loss, not much of a loss, or something in the middle. How, how do you help us measure the, the I loss? I think it's something in the middle, and I think it's just the new reality. I've been dealing with all the same emotions that all the rest of the fans have been dealing with. I I literally have been on Twitter all week. And I'm not like a huge Twitter user, but I want to know, is the Arizona quarterback transferring? <laughs> I think it was a huge loss. I do think he clearly benefited from like an insane crop of receivers. You know, he, he's the one that got Penix. So credit to him for, you know, going out and getting him. He had the history with him. Um, But gosh, I knew when Jimmy Lake left that like, whoever comes in is walking into a good situation. This team is so much better than what they did under that regime. Like they were good. They had a really good offensive line and they just, underperformed so anyone that came in i think would have done well not I, I think he's a special coach i really think he's an amazing coach i think time will tell i think you know i don't know i mean i would not want to walk into it the uh that situation in alabama fall follow that guy um i think he I, i'm a fan i think he's great i think he'll be successful throughout his career um uh, but he did catch lightning in a bottle here for sure right i mean it's not like um, and, 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 and the question I ask is, you know, even midway through the year, like why, I mean, maybe it's just a difference in philosophy and, and, and he's, he's not aggressively going after high school kids, but like, why we have such a poorly ranked recruiting class? Like you think we would be just mopping up, uh, recruits. So what, what's that? That was a question I had for the, like the last two months. Why, why are we 29th ranked class? Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's it's just a difference in focus. Maybe it's a different world these days where you got to balance the portal with, with uh, recruiting. Um, and I, and I, I do, th- but it is the new reality. I was super pissed. I was super bummed. But you know, this is what we had the luxury of having Don James. You know, for multiple decades. I think those days are gone. I think guys are just going to be. It's just going to be a. You know. I mean, even this new guy, I'm 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 excited about it, but like he hasn't been anywhere more than two years except for Arizona. Um what happens when Florida opens up, you know? 
do I want him to do well? If he does too well, he's probably going to leave. Yeah. So maybe we, maybe we shoot for second or third in the big in the Big Ten. Maybe maybe make the title game and lose. Otherwise, we're going to lose our coach. Uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, I think it's the new reality. So I don't know. I kind of danced around your the answer to your question. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think yeah. he's a I think he's a phenomenal coach. I really do. I think I remember when he got here, and I I'm very Damon Heward is very close to the program. He's very he was involved in hiring fish and all that. I call him, try to get insight. He doesn't always give me what I want. But when he got here, I was like, what's up? You know, I will say this. I was more excited about Jed Fish than than I was about DeBoer getting hired. I mean, I mean, was anyone that excited? We hired the Fresno State coach. Whoop to do. Um I mean, as you learn more about him, it was sort of, you know, you got more encouraged. But when I I checked in on Damon, you know, a few months into the tenure. And I was like, how are these guys? He, he said, they're awesome. They're really, they know football. They know how to coach. They, their practices are already 10 times better than they were before. Um, they're bonding with the players. They really get it. It's going to be great. I was like, can they recruit? He goes, no. They don't know what they're doing. But they'll figure it out. Well, did they? I don't know. I mean, still kind of wondering why didn't we didn't recruit better. So Fish is Mr. Recruiter, right? So even if he doesn't get all these guys to come over from Arizona, he's proven he can do it. You know, he did it at Arizona. Well, he should be able to do it here. And so maybe it's just a difference in philosophy. Maybe some coaches are like, I'm just going to work the portal and I'm going to have 22-year-olds, new 22, 23-year-olds every year instead of trying to groom some 18 year old, because at least I know what I'm getting. So maybe it's just a different philosophy. Maybe that was, that was the Boers. Or maybe you know, he goes out to him and says, I don't need to really recruit. It's going to recruit. So. Did, where were you on grub? Did you want, I mean, that seemed like a logical guy to come yeah, on. In. I would have been a fan, but I think they were probably scarred by Jimmy Lake, you know, because he oh. was a, an assistant that had never been a head guy. Yeah. Right. So Jimmy Lake was a well-regarded, coordinator right but he'd never been a head guy and he didn't do a great job as a head guy i think they just didn't want to take the risk i was a fan that was my first choice was grub because i think it would have kept the poor kids that have stayed with the program for so long maintain some continuity um i think he's you know i just think he's a really good coach that was my first choice but um i get it why they didn't do it i just felt like there was some risk involved with not uh having been a head coach yeah eric you, you mentioned you like let me make sure i don't want to put words in your mouth but you, you, i think you mentioned you like the fish hire overall but i want to ask you something about jed fish how do you think players and other coaches relate to a coach who never played high school or college football tell us about that aspect of, of jed fish yeah i hadn't thought much about that i i was a fan i mean i think they did the best job they could have given the circumstances and they couldn't let it linger on forever like they got to get going and i think i think they did i think they did the probably got the best guy they could have i was i would have been a fan of the jonathan smith but you know the tough look for him to leave after a month um on the job michigan state uh i i've only played for one guy that didn't have that didn't play football and that's charlie weiss and uh it was a bit of a struggle, but you know, for most kids, I think even whether they played or didn't, even if they played, they probably thought they were a joke as a player, you know, 
I mean, I think 18 year olds, when they see people our age as coaches, they don't think of them like, wow, that guy was really good back 30 years ago. I'm sure he's really good. I fully respect him. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, Charlie was tough to play for because he was, um, he was tough to play for for a lot of reasons, but he's an uh, asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the worst was when he'd be like, you know, telling you to hustle and, and, run to the next drill and then you'd get to the next drill and have to wait three minutes for him to waddle over to the next drill. Uh, <laughs> but not a huge deal that, that for most players and coaches that fish never played. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I know it is for some people. I've heard that comment. Um, but I mean, I just try to think through some of my coaches like Gary Pinkle, like I don't, did he play? I mean, obviously he played. Yeah, he played at Kent State. I guess he played for DJ at Kent State, right? And you've seen pictures. You go through the list. It's like, you know, you earn respect from a guy with their football knowledge and how they treat people and their demeanor. I just don't think most 18 to 22-year-olds are going to care. Um, he's been coaching so long. That speaks for itself. Um, whether he whether he played or not, I don't think they really, really care. Totally different. Some of my law professors never practice law. I mean, it's just it's just something kind of interesting. But I mean, that is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Ben, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I know. Um, in in college, you were buddies with an equipment the equipment guy. And um, do you have a story about the equipment guy, uh, a helmet and a concussed receiver by the name of Joe? Shout out Pat Scott for the for the intel. Pat Scott remembers stories that I don't remember, but Joe oh, no. is a very, very close friend of mine. Yeah, he he had a lot of concussions, too many to count. And they did have, if you remember, um, do you remember Kelso from the Bills? Uh, I don't remember his first name, but he had like the kazoo helmet. He was a safety, he had like the kazoo helmet, which yeah. is like a padded, it was like a pad on top of the helmet. And they made Joe wear that in practice, and he was not happy about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that the story? I don't remember. Oh, that's I, I thought there was more to him when Scotty told me this. So. Oh wow, that, that one that one didn't quite go. Well. There's probably more to it. I just forgot. Yeah, I, all right. I remember right. everything. Sometimes they sometimes the questions stick. Sometimes they don't. Oh well, sorry about that one. <laughs> hey, a little inside humor can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Eric, I'm going to try to package this question. It came up on social media. By the way, your my social media announcement of your interview definitely generated a lot of attention. You definitely have a good, good chunk of Myers, uh, Eric. But um, do you think the ends – we have a situation right now where a coach can accept a new position. This has definitely affected Washington the last week. And suddenly when the coach accepts a new position, suddenly a lot of players from the coach's former school may – have a mass exodus and leave the program. It's almost like the NFL having 54 free agents every year of all their players. Do, do you think the NCAA should enact any provisions relating to coaches transferring to new schools and the transfer portal? I don't have any specific proposal, but should something be done to, to avoid having a program like completely falling apart just because one coach leaves? Yeah, they got to do something. I mean, you know, this thing just, this thing just changed so fast. It's it's like, how do you even get your arms around it? Toothpaste is out of the tube, genie's out of the bottle, whatever metaphor you want. It's going to be hard to to put it back or, or re- rewind it anyway. I mean, do you put some sort of spending cap? I mean, how do you even do that? How do you enforce that? Uh, 
I don't know the answer, but I do think they should do something. And I feel a little hypocritical because two weeks ago, I kind of felt like, hey, this is the new reality. You just got to adjust because we benefited from it, right? Um, now, I feel like we just got pillaged and we have a third of our roster gone and our coaching staff's gone and we're piecing it back together. And I feel like like we've, you know, I, I feel like I said a hypocrite, but I feel like it's it's pretty brutal. And I just saw someone say that based on 2023 results, we have the second hardest schedule in the country next year. Um, so yeah, I think they need to do something now. If we if we snag, you know, a third of the Arizona roster, we'll probably be fine. Um, but that's not fair to them. And the trickle down is crazy, right? Arizona's, you know, their their players are all on the portal. Locally here, San Jose State, they're super high on their coach. Now he's at Arizona. I don't know who's taking the, the – what did I say? I'm, San Jose State. San Jose State coach went to Arizona. I don't know who the San Jose State coach is going to be, but some poor program is going to be um, unhappy about it. Yes, do they need to do something? I think they need to. Um, otherwise, there's just going to be less and less parity. And so I think parity is good for college football. Um I don't know how you fix it, but I, I think that it has to, something has to be done. Yeah. Some 14 day phrase or something. Ben Coy, get a question. In. All right. Let's shift to, to the, to the draft a little bit. Um, talk about, uh, I'm always curious about the, the combine or not the combine, but um, well, I guess the combine. Yeah. Because that's the wonder lick and they do all the testing and um, meeting with, with different teams. So, yeah, I guess talk about your story there. And did you did yeah. you ever meet with Dallas? Was Dallas on the radar? Did you have any idea? I did. Um, combine for me was going into it. There was only like two teams that's that were like, hey, you know, the H back was kind of a becoming a thing, and we want a mobile tight end. But like, I didn't play tight end until the NFL ever, so I was a receiver. I was going to the combine as a receiver. So the testing in the 40 time was super important for me. And I trained my ass off for it. And I get there and the first day you meet with, I guess, I'm, I don't remember the order of, of everything, but I think the first thing we did was they called the cattle call. And you literally go on stage in your pair of shorts and they, they measure you, weigh you, and they measure your hand. They measure every, you know, whatever your reach and they bark out the numbers like you're, you know, like a piece of meat. And I remember like kind of looking and they see a couple of head coaches in the, in the audience and they're all taking notes and, and they just rifle you through. So that was kind of weird. And then, and then there's a, there's a portion of the day we spend, you're at the hospital and there's, they're x-raying and, and scanning every injury you ever had. And, you know, some guys don't get that much. I had a few, so I got, you know, separate x-rays and MRIs. And then you go to a room and the, and the, the team doctor will come over and just start pulling on your knee and your elbow and your anything you had before in injury wise, or just to check that everything's, you know, stable. I remember one time there was like, I, there was a, a team on one on my one arm, one on my other arm, one on one leg, one on my other leg at once, like just pulling on. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think the Seahawks guy was there who I'd met and he's like, Hey, this is a good sign. Just so you know, it was a good sign, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, yeah. And then you do that in a three, you know, separate a few rooms. You do that. Like I think there was, you know, 10 teams in each room. 
And then you spend a full day in a hotel going through like multiple interviews. And if the team invites you in, you go into their suite. It was just like a bunch of suites and they had all, you know, gear out. And it might be the head coach, GM, assistant coach. Um, and they give you, they give you something for do, go, doing the interview. You got like a hat or t-shirt. Um, and I remember, you know, some teams didn't invite me in. Like I remember the Cleveland Browns were there and Dwight Clark was in there. He was a GM at the time. They didn't invite me. I walked in. I was like, I just wanted to, just wanted to say hi. Cause I'm a huge fan. Uh, so I interviewed with, I don't know, maybe half the teams pretty exhausting, you know, just to try to be on for like 15 job interviews. And one of them was the Giants, who's notoriously had this like a personality test that was like 300 plus questions. So it took like like two hours, something. It was crazy. Wow. I and mean, all the other teams hated it because it gobbled at the time and guys would come out of there exhausted. Still had to do the wonder look at some point. Um, they give you a full New York Giants starter jacket, though. So the gear was way better than anybody else. <laughs> I think the no, notorious story, Dion was like, what pick do you have in the draft? And they're like, 11. And he's like, look, I'm not going to be there, so I'm not taking this test. <laughs> um, and then – time said that? Dion said that? Yeah, yeah. He didn't take this the long test. that They had that for years. He's like, I'm not taking this. Sorry. Um, and then that night, you know, you have buffet dinners. And I, I remember had – I went through the, the, the line, and I remember thinking they just brought a new vat of burgers. And I was like, thank you. That looks a little bit on the rare side, but whatever. I'm not that picky. Needless to say, I got food poisoning, and I was oh. on the bathroom floor all night. Like, both ends, like, off. worst night of my life. Uh, didn't sleep at all, and had to work out the next day. And I got to the workout. I was like, I could barely walk from my bed to the door, let alone run a 40. So I was like, look, guys, I can't. I can't work out today. Like I just, I know this probably is going to ruin my whole career, but if I run a 40 right now, I might run like six seconds. And, and I, and I call my agent. He's like, we just don't worry. The the teams will come by your, your school to work you out. Um, But you, you can't go put up a bad time, you know, that bad. And so, and this is like, there's also a time where the track in Indy was notoriously slow. So a lot of guys would opt out from working out, but these are like first rounders. Like I was a bubble guy and they don't explain the reason why you don't work out. There's like Bjornsson not working out. I'm sure how the teams are like, who the hell is this guy? Now here's where I benefited because a notorious slow track probably would have run, you know, maybe not the best time. Every team in the league came to see Napoleon Kaufman and Mark Brunel. And so I get to work out for every single team in the league at my track. And we had a fast track in UW is the indoor track. So I ran good times for all these teams. I ran my best time when Dallas was there uh, with 12 other teams. I ran uh, my best 40 time ever. So I ended up benefited from it, benefiting from it. Uh, but at the time, I thought my career was over before it started because I didn't work out. What'd you run? What was your best? 449. Nice. Ooh, not too shabby. Like I said, it was fast track. I mean, all I did was train for the 40 for like six months. Eric, we're going to get back to some more questions about the NFL and your pro career, but I I have two questions I'm going to ask. I've asked every guest these two questions for quite a few years now. Um, who is a living sports figure? To be someone, um, whether a commissioner, an agent, an athlete, someone who's still with us um, that you would love to have a conversation with or spend time with, and who's a deceased sports figure in history 
you'd have loved to have spent some time with? Let's see. Um, I I think Steph Curry might be my favorite athlete of all time at this point. Uh, I would love to hang with that dude, maybe play around at golf. I know mutual friends that do occasionally play with him. I just think his approach to life in the game, he plays, you're a guy who plays with more joy and he's just so fun to watch. Obviously I'm a big Warriors fan, but um, yeah, I would love to feed off that energy, you know, get to hang out with him a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to think about the, the deceased one. Um, yeah, I got to back to it. Yeah, I'll come back to it. I'll think so. Hey, by the way, your uh, former teammate Dave Hoffman, uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago mentioned Steph Curry as the living sports figure. He most oh really? Liked. Yeah. So uh, your friend Hoffman gave a, the same answer to that question. So, Love that. Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you think about a deceased sports right. figure? We'll let uh, Ben get another question in the meantime. Who, do you remember who Hoffman's deceased was? Uh, Hoffman's deceased. I think it was Dick Buckus. He said he'd already so. spent time with Dick Buckus, but he would love to have spent more time with him. And yeah. Buckus just passed recently, so makes sense. Yeah, I've got some incredible answers those two questions. I, I it's just been, I love hearing what, yeah, uh, sports figures such as Eric have to have to have say they'd like to spend time with. You know, all right, there. sticking with the draft theme, Eb. Um, do you, what was did did you get the phone call from Jerry Jones and Switzer? What was that like? Was that just surreal as hell? Very surreal. So going to the draft, I was projected to be sixth or seventh round. Or undrafted, you know, there's only seven rounds, and uh, I saw plenty of of my uh, former teammates all say, "My agent says I'm going third round." My agent says I'm going fourth round, and every single one of them went later than they said, except for like Napoleon or something. But even he went late first round. So I had teams say we're thinking this that, but I never took anything to heart. And and the projection was sixth, seventh, or undrafted. And it's interesting that the way the draft goes. It's not unlike a fantasy draft. If you've ever participated in a fantasy draft, tight ends go different round every year. There's just a run on them, right? When someone starts drafting them, you're like, oh boy, I got to get a tight end before I get left in the cold. So uh, in my draft, I was, again, so we had like a big party in my house the night before. I lived with six other guys and we're up really late and I was, this is the first day and obviously didn't go on the first day. They ended up packing in three rounds in the first day. So second day started with the fourth round. Again, thinking I'm going late. I was sleeping and the phone rings at, at 6.30 in the morning. And it was the, I mean, it was one of the scouts from the uh, Cowboys and said, we have three picks in the fourth round. We might want use one on you. So stay by the phone. I was like, all right, went back to bed. <laughs> uh, and then I have a couple of buddies who, who, uh, uh, Ben knows Rich Menti, a guy named Sheila Anderson. They came over, woke me up, and like, what are you doing? Like, let's go. We got to watch. And it was different watching experience than it is now, especially day two of the draft. But phone rang, and uh, it was the Larry Lacewell that had a scouting for the Cowboys. And uh, he said, are you, uh, are you ready to wear a star in your helmet? I was like, yes. And he's like, are you ready to start eating cheeseburgers and milkshakes? Because I was like 210 pounds, and I put on weight to be a tight end. And then they gave the phone to Barry, I think. I don't remember if it was Barry or Jimmy or Jerry, Barry or Jerry, but they, they put, the, he was on the phone and then they went to, uh, 
I had it on VHS somewhere, but they went to Carl Ravage or not Carl Ravage. One of those, the old school ESPN guys that's actually still around. They're like, yeah, and the Cowboys are going to draft Eric Bjorns. And they went the camera on Barry. And he's on the phone with me. That was pretty, pretty awesome. And then, and then Mr. Jones got on and talked to him and then that was kind of it. But it was me, my girlfriend, Shale and Menti were there sitting together. That was nice. it. That's a great story. It was like a big watching party because I didn't really think I was going to get drafted. Great story. Great story. Hey, do you, do you have a do, do you have your Super Bowl ring? Do you wear it? Yeah, I don't yeah. wear it. You don't wear I have it. It's in, yeah. a, it's in a safety box. And... Would you ever sell it? No. 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 I mean, if I did, things would have gone south on me pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of surreal moments, what about when you? What was like the first time? You get into a huddle and you look over yeah. and Nate Newton and freaking okay, that happened fast. So back to the draft day, that was like a uh, a Sunday, and in by Friday, you got mini camp. I'm in the huddle. I've never been been in a three point stance before, and I'm in the huddle for for mini camp with. I look around. It's Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Daryl Johnston, Michael Irvin, Kevin Williams. And me in seven on seven. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is pretty weird. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah. Do they all do they all treat you pretty nicely as a as a rookie, those guys? They did. You know, I think I think a lot of I think a lot of programs, I think at out every level have sort of different philosophy and how you're gonna treat the new guys. The cowboys were very much like, look, we need all hands. And like, you know, there's only 53 guys on a roster. So everyone's playing, right? Whether you're starting or backup, like you're certainly playing special teams and you're certainly going to need to be ready. So there was not a lot of hazing that went on. I mean, I think you had to sing at dinner one night, but that was kind of it. Like they, you know, carry the pads out of the bat. If you're, if you're if a guy in your position was, a, you know, was one of those guys. But for the most part, they're all like, hey, all hands on deck and we need a second tight end. So we kind of need you to get up to speed fast. So yeah, they're all great. Well, the hardest thing, obviously getting, putting on weight, you're learning a whole new position. You're on the line. You're probably, you know, figuring out blocking and yeah. 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 It was, all, it was very hard. I mean, the good thing was I was, you know, as a receiver, the big question was speed. Well, a tight end, there was no question. I mean, I was fast for tight end, so I could have been a slow receiver or a fast tight end. Um, so that was good. I was mostly going against the linebackers, which was better than going against DBs, occasionally going against the safety. But uh, the receiving part wasn't a problem or hard. It actually came – it was a, di- a little different feel working from the inside rather than way outside. But that wasn't so hard. The blocking part was hard. Understanding the blocking schemes took a while. But I picked it up pretty quick. I think having a quarterback background helped a lot. Um, Jason Garrett is a close friend of mine. He was super helpful with me anytime I needed help. Daryl Johnson was a close friend of mine. Fullback tight end, you know, aren't that dissimilar in their involvement in the offense. So uh, that was helpful, but it was an adjustment. I mean, really, I don't really remember how hard it was. Maybe I was going home every night and struggling with it, but I felt like it came pretty quick. And uh, yeah. But it was, you know, the, the weight thing was was hard. Hard to keep weight on for me at the time. As the season went on, I was always, you know, struggling with that. But how big did you get? Did you have uh, two 
I think the biggest I got was 245. I went into training camp one year, 245. Uh, but by the end of the year, we're talking 230, 232. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a big I still owe you at Rich Menti's wedding back in 96. You were a pretty big dude then. Yeah, I was bigger for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric, you played for for four very highly known coaches, Don James and Jim Lambright at the collegiate level. You also played for two famous uh, coaches, Barry Switzer and Bill Belichick, uh, NFL coaches. Well, Barry also coached in college, too. Tell us how these four coaches were similar as coaches, and how are they different as coaches, those four after? I was also under John Gruden with the Raiders my seventh year, but I didn't I didn't make that team. But talk That's about right. a different, right. different style right. than the other two. That's right. Uh well, let's see. Yeah, DJ. DJ was a quiet, but yet intimidating figure. He his his coordinators. I would say the one thing that they had a hot in common for for the most part was. Well, DJ, Lambright and Barry, they let their coordinators coach, and they were sort of had oversight over the whole process. And Belichick was that way too. Belichick was more involved in the defense, though, than than any of the other coaches were on their side of the ball. Um, DJ and Lambright, super hard, you know, firm disciplinarian Belichick, very much the same way. Like really, really firm. You know, you go in a meeting, you hear pin drop. Barry was pretty loosey goosey. <laughs> Barry was a good time. So there wasn't like a lot of fear happening and and you weren't, you weren't scared in the meeting with Barry. It was great. It was a breath of fresh air. Then and then after that, going to Belichick was was a tough transition. Um, um, yeah, very you know, all had some similarities and, and differences. Um, I I like the uh, you know I think I think the hardcore disciplinarian approach works great in college. You have young young men that maybe need it a little. I, I don't think it works great when you have like thirty year old men with wives and kids, you know being treated that way. That's my personal feeling. Um, I just felt like, you know, we're all adults. So let's all treat each other like adults. Um, so it was a tough, tough going to New England because he was really cracking the whip and uh, it was a tough coaching style for a lot of guys. And especially when you're losing, we didn't win that year. It was a year after they won, they won Super Bowl in the next year. Um, you know, some might say in the Dallas team that Barry was a little too loose. And I think, you know, Pete Carroll preceded Belichick. And I just thought, like, those Patriots teams had, were good teams. And they did not like him there, you know. I mean, like, I, they're, everyone was so excited to have Belichick, who was like a Parcells disciple, you know, be be coming back in and get rid of this California guy who's too, too casual for us New Englanders. We need some hardcore discipline get this Pete Carroll guy out of here. They did not like him. I didn't understand it. I was like, you guys are pretty good. He gets with the playoffs every year, one game or two. Um, but they did not like him. I want to tell you guys a quick story. I had Mark Patterson. He's on my show a couple of times. Yeah, I know Mark. Former Husky and former NFL player. And Mark told a story that, you know, Don James was disciplinary. And he goes to the Raiders. And he couldn't believe it. Guys are like smoking on the sidelines and laughing. He, Mark said he absolutely could not believe that transition. You know, oh yeah, that was crazy for me too. Yeah, I, I didn't. It was shocking. I mean, it's really somewhat shocking getting into the real real world, uh, showing up for meetings like my first kind of job, 
And I was there like 10 minutes before the meeting started and there wasn't a soul in there. And they're like, what are you doing here? I was like, we have a meeting at 8.30. They're like, it's 8.21. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But I, you know, whatever. And then like people come trickling in at 8.34. I'm like, what's going on here? Are they, are they going to get fined? <laughs> Want me to jump in there, Paul? Yeah, jump in then. Uh, so the lore of Michael Irvin's work ethic and being a talk to that. I mean, is he is, is that as real as, as we yeah. hear? Um, and then on top of that, any Dion primetime stories, I'm sure <laughs> there's some, that just that team was personality after personality. I bet it was fantastic. It was a lot of, I couldn't even remember half the stories. It was almost daily, you know, with just some funny stuff that I have, but Michael, I remember coming there. I was a Niner fan growing up, so I wasn't really a Cowboys fan. And I, I just sort of perceived Michael as remember flashy guy played in Miami, and um, that that you know figured this guy's loaded with talent, shows up and plays. Probably not a hardworking guy. And I got there, I've never seen anyone work harder. Like that guy, lifted heavy. Like you know, receivers often are kind of prima donnas and not. You know, this guy squatted heavy, lifted heavy. He he did all the workouts that were prescribed and more on his own. Some days you just see him out there running like 40 hundreds, just, just in the 110 degree heat. Like the guy was a machine. And not only in the off season, during the season, nobody practiced harder. I mean, I'm not even kidding. It would be week 14 where everybody's hurting and he is practicing like it's game day on a thursday um i mean it was it was awesome i i, I love the guy for that and it was really the biggest eye-opener for me was the scene and he said just really set the tone from a work standpoint for the whole team dion was not uh dion was a great guy by the way very soft-spoken quiet nothing like you see like his public persona is nothing like he is away from the camera He's a good dude, quiet. I remember just like like the you did not hear his voice. And we had Michael and Nate and Charles Haley, and we had guys that were, you know, we'd yap in the locker room nonstop. Dion was not that guy. He was quiet, being in the training room, you wouldn't hear a peep from him. And but Dion also knew he knew his body, he knew what he needed to do to be ready, but he wasn't gonna do more than he needed to do. And I don't I don't recall ever seeing Dion lift a weight. Um but I, I think he had his own work, you know, his own weight room at home. And I'm sure he did stuff, but he just, he would occasionally go hard in practice when he knew he needed it, but pretty few and far between. And I don't know if he, it was almost like he just did that to, to build the lore around his athletic ability. I'm not really sure, but I know that about the fastest guy I've ever seen a football field for sure. Um, but he was a great guy, quiet. And, uh, I think he was probably just the most gifted guy. I've just never seen, you know, all the other guys worked their asses off. They had God-given talent and they worked their ass off and they maximized it. I mean, I feel like he could just fall out of bed and be the best cover corner in the league for, for a period there. I remember one year, the one year where he did actually put in genuine work, there was a year where Michael got suspended for the first four games. And so Dion started at, at receiver for four games, maybe six games and play both ways. And he spent the whole off season, you know, off season is like, I think Monday, Wednesday, Friday quarterbacks receivers are out there 
running routes and throwing balls. And he was there every day. And uh, because, you know, he never really played receiver. So he did put in the work that year. And just speaking to his speed, I remember there was a guy we had named Ed Hervey, who was not a great receiver, but he was really fast. He ran like the second fastest 200 in the world one year. So they would just throw deep to him every time. And all the DBs knew that's all he could do. So, but he was fast and he was out there in the off season. And after we finished running routes, he DM was like, Hey, I heard you pretty fast. You want to race? He's like, yeah, sure. He's like, let's race 20 yards. DM beat him by five yards. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, Eric, you mentioned, um, just for the fans and listeners, can you tell if, uh, a little fun insight or two about, uh, Two other famous players, Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith. Can you share a little bit about about Troy and Emmett? And I also have a fall question for you. you. Mentioned John Gruden. Any thoughts on Gruden's whole situation right now with the NFL? But uh, so I guess I have a couple questions there for you. Yeah, Troy was you know close friend, but he was he was a he when I got there, you know, Barry was like I said, he was a little bit on the loosey goosey side compared to Jimmy, so. Troy felt like he needed to be the disciplinarian guy. And so he became like the heavy a little bit game day. You'd yell a lot. So you didn't want to cross him or get on the wrong side of him. If you had a bad play, you're going to hear about it. So it was tough. He was tough. I mean, I think it was probably what we needed, but it was, he was tough at times. And the game was over. He'd always say good game, you know, no good job, all that. But he was very, he put a, a loads of pressure on himself. And again, probably a good thing why he was so great, but he definitely wore, you know, the burden and uh, put a lot of pressure on himself. Um, But he's, I've seen him since and he's, he's mellowed out a lot and he's, he's great dude. Uh, Emmett was just, just incredible. I didn't really realize how great he was. So you see him every day. um, Just how, how well, how good a balance he has, his ability to break tackles. He didn't have like insane speed, but, Gosh, I remember my rookie year. There was a buddy of mine on the team named Jim Schwantz, who's a back of court, uh, linebacker. And every time Emmett would make a crazy play, we'd always find each other and be like, "Did you see that? Like, God, he's so good. It's so incredible. Um, competitive guy, really down to earth guy. Treated everyone, you know. Most of the guys didn't treat anyone differently that you like you might think. I remember I had he had some charity event where it was like win a, a game with your buddies with Emmett Smith, like a football game with your buddies with Emmett Smith. And it was like some, I think it was starter was the sponsor or something. And he was leaving to go. He was leaving. the. It was like off season, you know, he's like, Hey, I need you. Can you come do this with me? I need someone to come with me. Cause I'm, I'm court. I'm having, I'm playing quarterback for the kid, you know, with a, on the one side, I need another quarterback. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Let's do it. So I went with him and it was, it was like kids are probably middle school. And so I'm quarterback, he's quarterback. And then when on defense, I was a safety, he was a safety. And then like first play, he's kind of, you know, he makes a little throw and I intercept it first play. And now he's like, okay, this is how it's going. And then it <laughs> proceeded to turn into an aerial battle. And it was probably, I mean, the, the parents, these kids are probably the best day of their lives. The parents, I mean, we probably, scored a hundred points um, <laughs> just going back and forth and back and forth. And I remember it was like, just, I remember I was down. Like I remember the last, I just remember him laying out to defend these balls, you know, just so I wouldn't win the game at the end. 
Um, so yeah, really competitive guy. Um, great guy. I mean, when I see him, he's so gracious and excited to see old teammates. Doesn't even matter who you are. Um, so huge fan of both. Gruden. It's, it's such a great story. Real quickly, it's such a great story that Emmett invited you to go to that charity with him. That's a, that's a well, it wasn't awesome. like a premeditated thing. I think he was walking out the door, and I was walking out the door at the okay. same time. And he's like, "Hey, can you come do this with me?" Tell us about Gruden. Give your thoughts on Gruden's situation. I'm curious. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I liked, I, I loved playing for the guy for the, you know, six months or so that I was there. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a great coach. Um, you know, it's obviously the, the, I, I don't remember if it was just transcripts or audio, pretty awful. I understand why he got canceled for some, to some degree. Um, I don't, I don't see him coming back in the league anytime soon, but, uh, I feel bad, you know, we've all said stupid things when the cameras are off or, you know, in private, I should say. Um, but yeah, it was pretty, I mean, I don't want to, you know, rehash it, but he, he you know, the comments made were pretty awful and, and I kind of get why he, he was canceled. So, um, it's a shame, but I felt like I liked him as a broadcaster. I liked him as a coach. Um, wish we get to see him more, but it's unfortunate that we probably won't. He has a suit going against NFL right now. I'll have to see what happens in that case. Oh, really? Yeah, it's going yeah. in Nevada right now. Yeah, yeah. He's oh. trying to get uh, the NFL disclosed. He, I, I don't know the whole all the facts, but I think I think Gruden's alleging that somebody may have hacked him or something. And I don't you know. There's all these different stuff going back. I, I love playing for him. He was a great coach. Good, just so he was just like you see him on TV. You know, he's all he just. He, he, he loves football. He just wants to be around it. He loves guys that love football. He always asks you like football because I think he knows, like, if you love it, you're going to be great. If you don't love it, I'm not sure I want to be around you. You know, that's kind of his attitude. Ben, go ahead. You have a, Do you ever have any interactions with Summerall or Madden? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I won't tell that very long story that you know, but I, 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 uh, so my second year, Jay Novacek is hurt, and I'm thrown into the starting lineup as a second-year player. And I have a couple games to catch some balls, and I think they're like, you know, usually there's a production meeting before the game. It's usually Saturday, the day before the game. And usually they meet with, you know, when you watch a broadcast, they're like, yeah, I was talking to Joe Burrow yesterday. He was telling me they are really want to attack the, you know, the interior of their defense or whatever. So they have these production meetings to get that kind of information. Well, they never ask guys like me to be in that. It's usually the quarterback and running back and the big timers. Well, the PR guy was like, Hey, Madden and Summer, I'll want to talk to you before the Buffalo game. And I was like, Really? So I sat with him for an hour and chatted with him. And Madden knew my background. Madden's a Bay Area guy and he probably did some research. And, and, uh, and so, you know, that was the only time I'd ever been, even, even when I started years after that, I didn't invite to the production meeting. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was a fun interaction. And then, I, you know, Summerall was close friends with with Troy and lived in Dallas. And I I did hang out with him a few times outside of that. And he was the nicest guy ever, like greatest guy. Loved hanging out, loved talking football. Like he was the sweetest man ever. I actually, as time went on, I, I didn't have a, a – like if you watched, like my family hates John Madden because he was pretty critical of me when this Cowboys kind of 
struggling, you know, I became a target, you know, he definitely used to get tunnel vision on one topic. And it was like, it became like, they're missing Novacek. They don't have a, an option at tight end. And so it was kind of like, I became, I haven't, you know, I, I've only heard about this. So I've never, it's not like I've gone back and watched the footage. So I don't even know what he was saying, but he would be like, I can't believe Madden was saying all that about it. He was like, Hey, I don't know what he said. And I'm sure it was bad, but I don't need to go watch it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I didn't have a great feeling about about John Madden in the latter part of my career, but whatever, he's just doing his job. Follow up, uh, another media titan. Um, tell us about Sparky Mortimer. <laughs> so you asked about Pat O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that was so I'd we go. <laughs> so we go Super Bowl, and for Letterman fans, there was a kid named Sparky Mortimer that he would send to the World Series to the NBA, you know, different sporting events. And he would go around and, and interview people and they'd, you know, make a joke of it. Right. And, uh, and, and feed him some questions in Letterman style, you know, humor. I was a massive Letterman guy. Like I watched anyone that knows me that went to college with me. I would tape every episode. I'd watch it every day. Like I was really hardcore. I'm going back to high school. I watched it all the time. So where is week of the Super Bowl? And I, I used to play solitaire on like the old Microsoft windows with Troy. And I was sitting in the room and I, he was in the next room. PR guy goes, Hey, when we get to Phoenix, there's a kid from Letterman. They got to do some interview thing or something. I go, oh, Sparky Mortimer. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, what the hell? How do you even know what this is? I'm like, Hey, I am a massive fan. Like I got to meet this kid. <laughs> so it turned out it was, uh, so there's two media days. There's a big, massive day where you're outside in the stadium. Like it's a massive production. But before that, there's like a smaller only by your team media day where you're sitting at a table. And like I sat at a table with just me, just my name on the middle of the table. Right. And everyone's got their own table. And, you know, the backup tight end isn't getting interviewed by that many media outlets. It was all the Seattle guys that I knew. Right. Would come up and say hi. And then maybe some hometown papers. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like I was getting a lot of action. So then I guess the PR guy was like, oh, he's over there. This guy, he's a huge fan. He can have some fun with this one. Because I came in with Troy and there's like 50, 50 reporters. Emmett, same thing. But they did so this did this little fun thing with me. He started asking me questions. They're feeding him all these questions. And then they're like, oh, so how much do you bench press? And I was like, oh, I can bench press, you know, 400 pounds. And then they cut to me immediately bench pressing the kid. And uh, so, and then I like, I call my buddy, I call Pat Scott, like, I think I'm gonna be on Letterman tonight. Like, this is the greatest night of my life. And <laughs> sat in the hotel with my girlfriend and watched it that night. And uh, I still have it. I think it's, I, I, I posted on YouTube. Eventually, someone will yank it down because I'm sure I'm violating some sort of media rights. But uh, um, yeah, that was a huge, huge highlight. That's awesome. That's too good. Shout out Pat Scott for the intel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, it's Sparky Mortimer, I think, still does, I think, some sort of broadcasting for BYU. And I think he's, I think he's probably pushing, probably creeping up on 300 bills. Uh oh. <laughs> I sent him a note one time, like, hey, there's no way I can bench press you now. <laughs> he didn't respond. I'm sure he didn't remember it. <laughs> were, you, were you ever a Leno guy, Eric? No, no. 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 no, there's no such yeah. thing. If you're Letterman, you're one or the other. I, I switched around, but but anyhow. Um, all right, back to football for, for a minute. 
you nearly a quarter century ago in the year 2000, you remember the Patriots roster and you, Tom Brady was a teammate. It was his first year. Bill Belichick yep. was the coach. Now a lot of football fans barely knew the names, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I just uh, saw a book, the top 100 football players. Brady's picked as the number one football player in history. Belichick is known as arguably one of the greatest coaches in history. Eric, looking back, 24 years ago or so, did you see Brady and Belichick being the big deals that they are now? No. I thought Tom was a great player, but I didn't even think he'd make the team. Because wow. We had, we had four quarterbacks, right? We had Bledsoe, we had John Freeze, because Seahawks fans are, you know, just came over. Solid backup. We had a kid named Michael Bishop, third string quarterback from Kansas State. Highly regarded guy. When he got in, he actually did quite well in preseason games. Teams don't keep four quarterbacks, right? They don't even keep three anymore. And so I was like, well, this guy's just a bad – I mean, that happens a lot, right? It's just bad numbers. You could be a good player. They're too deep out of position. And I just remember thinking, I hope he gets some film because there's zero chance he's going to make the team. So hopefully he lands somewhere and gets a shot. But I will give – Belichick probably more credit than anybody. He kept him on the roster because he thought that highly of him. And he kept Bishop too. So we had four quarterbacks. I mean, that 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 puts a detriment either one lineman short, one linebacker, one DB or receiver. So that's that's hard. I mean, you get banged up a lineman, you need everybody you can get. And uh 53 man roster keep four quarterbacks. So yeah, I didn't not I didn't think I, I thought he was a good player. I did not see what he's done. Uh, Incredible. I didn't see that at all. I didn't uh, know he barely made the team in the year 2000. I never knew that there it was a four quarterback situation. Eric, that's an incredible story. Yeah. And then the next year, I think Freeze, well, no, Freeze, I think they let his contract go. And so they, and I think they got rid of Bishop. And they and they brought in Damon Hewitt to be Bledsoe's backup. Like it was not Tom. It was Damon Hewitt. They gave him a pretty good deal to be the backup. And Tom beat out Damon in training camp. And then Bledsoe gets his spleen ruptured, you know, on a hit. And then the rest is history. But um, so credit Belichick for that. Like he identified it and saw it the whole time. Um, I don't know that any of us on that team saw that coming. And then, you know, I always thought. Belichick was you could tell he was a defensive genius I didn't love his coaching style but you know when you're playing on a team like that and you're not winning it's just a tough sled tough it's a slog right and the facilities out there at the time were the worst I've ever seen and they got brand new facilities after I left uh and you know I don't know there's been chatter about this like how much has he really won without Brady like Look how many coaches Brady, you know, made the careers of. Charlie Weiss, what has he done without Brady? Uh, Josh McDaniel, you know, what are those guys done without Brady? So I think coaches, as they're looking for, you know, certainly Harbaugh is probably smart enough to know this. Like, you hit your wagon to a Hall of Fame quarterback, um, you can do quite well as a coach. I mean, look, go down the list. Bill Walsh in Montana. You got, you know, uh, – What's that? Bradshaw, Bradshaw Noel. I mean, Bradshaw Noel. Um, uh, I, the name, the Packers and Holmgren and Favre and, and, you know, like go on and on. So I remember 
Jason telling me once that Jason Garrett made a comment. Like coaches have said, like, like you got to pick, you got to go find a quarterback. will make your entire career. And I think, uh, I think that's true of Belichick. I mean, I think he's one of the best defensive coaches in the history of football, but his GM decisions haven't been great. Like really? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know that he's had, I mean, look at, the other thing is like look at all the receivers that Brady made the careers of that went elsewhere and didn't do shit. Like look at Walker. I mean, except for Moss. Moss is obviously one of the top three of all time. Walker, you think Julian Edelman's having a career like that without Brady? Dion Branch. I mean, you get on a list of guys you, you can barely Good remember course. their names. But like besides Moss, who are the elite receivers that, that Tom ever had? Besides I mean, Gronk, Gronk's the other one that obviously is insane, but so did I see it coming? No, I didn't. Did you ever catch a ball from him? Were you a CD starter then? Or were you? I caught plenty of balls from him in, in practice in yeah. preseason, but. Uh, Not again. No. Any no. interaction off field? Any stories? Uh, like, go hang with him at all? Or is it kind of. I email him once or twice a year and he always responds. Usually it's good luck this season, stay healthy or. Great season. Congrats on your freaking sixth Super Bowl and and enjoy the offseason. He always says thanks. Hope all is well with you. Um, haven't seen him, haven't talked to him. I reached out before the championship game because I was in Houston and I thought maybe he'd be, at, be down there. You know, because he went to Michigan. I didn't hear back. But I heard actually Laurie Malloy said that him and Ty Law were going to be there, but I didn't I didn't see him. So I don't know if they were. Did they show them on TV at all? No, I don't think, I think so. If they were there, they would have, right? Yeah. I don't remember. No, Brady for sure. Not with the you talking about the the safeties. I don't remember seeing him. Paul, do you? I I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I want to get another question in from from the audience. A friend of mine, um, Cat, was kind of curious to get your feedback about the Cowboys. Are they still America's team? There was actually a Wall Street Journal article today about how some of these illustrious franchises, like the Yankees and the Cowboys, have, have had some. Not so wonderful seasons. Anyhow, I thought I'd get that cat's question into you that she had. So explicitly, are they America's team? I, I think they yeah, just are. in general, like well, they kept the stay of the Cowboys franchise. I may have been rambling a little bit, but just it's tough. They're held at a different standard than everybody else. You know, I mean, they got they lost the Packers, a good Packers team, and it's all that they talked about. You know, the whole next day, the whole week. You know, Eagles kind of choked the whole season away. Went to 10 and 1 at one point. Like, they're not getting raked through the coals. Like, it is what it is. That's how, I mean, they, it's a popular topic, win or lose. I think, um, gosh, it's just so, such a higher level of scrutiny for the head coach and quarterback of the Cowboys. Uh, but, you know, it's just the nature of it. And, and I think, uh, that's how Jerry wants it. You know, I know that. He his biggest fear is if they stop talking about him, you know. But he's, they just have bad. He's a real What's character, Gary Jones. What's that? He's a real character, isn't he? He's a real character. I mean, here's the thing, though. Like people say, well, he's a common thread, and you know, why don't they get a football guy to be a GM? Well, he's been doing it for forty years. He's a football guy now. He played football. Like he he he's actually done a pretty good job. From a GA, he drafted Dak in with the fifth round. They got Zeke. They got that for that draft was crazy. They they 
you know, fortunately I took Zach Martin over Johnny Menzel, which was, you know, a, a franchise changing decision. He's drafted well. He does a good job as a player. He wants nothing more to win and he's not afraid to spend money. Like what else do you want as a player? No players ever played for Jerry complains about it. He's a great owner to play for. Um, winning's hard, you know, winning's hard in the NFL. You got to stars got to align and you got to have the right quarterback and, you know, it's not easy. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 when they lose, it's a bummer, but nothing bums me out more than, I mean, I bleed purple. The Huskies are far more important to me than, than the Cowboys, but they're, they're the team I root for in the NFL for sure. Yeah. Got a few more minutes, sir. Yeah. All right. Ben, want to get another question? In? Hardest hit you ever took college or pro hardest hit you ever inflicted. <laughs> good questions uh opening day i think it was 97 98 i was going over the middle and the ball was a little bit high i went up for it and was turning back and the safety um drilled me right in the chest and i got like um almost like whiplash my neck still hurts like today like if i turn my neck to left i can still feel it from that hit and uh and that was the uh i don't know why his name escapes me right now but the safety that went and fought um in iraq oh an arizona state kid yeah 42 what's his name pat um tillman tillman great guy yeah yeah that was the hardest hit i took um Took some hard hits, but that that was certainly a memorable one. Took a couple. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of college, high school. That's the one I remember the most. The one hardest one I think I ever laid. Um, I was, I played every special team as a rookie. I never played special teams in in high school or college, so it was definitely new to me. I was not on the kickoff team. I was on kickoff return, punt, punt, block, and then we got thin. Injuries happen again. There's 53 guys. There's not that many guys. There was this three game stretch I had to run down and kick off. And that was, you know, different for me playing Niners at home. And they actually set up a double team, like certainly returns you target a guy, not because of their tackling ability, just that's how the, the return is designed to double one guy and, you know, kind of run the return off him. And they were setting up a double team on him. I kind of slipped through the double team and was, I was, falling down and so as a result of it the impact was like really hard and it's dexter carter and i laid him on his back but it was also kind of because i was kind of tripping at the time like <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't need to know that part blues <laughs> and uh and then i remember like i have seen the that broadcast and madden was doing it and he's like that guy was a quarterback <laughs> we still lost the game but that Eric, real, real quickly, you mentioned special teams. I just thought of this question. I had uh, Eric Metcalf on my show about a year and a half ago. Great guy. Lives in Seattle, former NFL right. player. And some say Eric Metcalf is one of the greatest special teams players in history. Uh, Devin Hester's name comes up as well. Do you think like Hester and Metcalf have Hall of Fame cases uh, based in part on their being great special teams players? Yeah, maybe. There's no, there's none of those guys. I think Tasker should be in that conversation. I would have thought he'd be, you know, because he did it all, not just he did he, – he, he did it all both covering blocking kicks and returning. Um, yeah, I think it's probably time for one of those guys to make it. 
I don't know. I feel like the NFL Hall of Fame may have their doors may be open a little bit too wide. I didn't really know this until I went to the Cooperstown with my son for a little league tournament. And like the number, like the, the standard for baseball are crazy. Like when you think about the guys that aren't in there and just the sheer numbers, how few numbers are even in the hall. Um, yeah. So perhaps I do think though, the special teamer should be, be in there one day. Eric's really high up there. The other Eric, Eric Metcalf, he's very high up there in all purpose yards, total yards. I mean, oh, yeah. Not really For sure. Yeah. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, let's see here. Rank these uh, rank these in order of like biggest honor. So uh national championship, Super Bowl um winner, or being part of the esteemed 2004 Manzanillo Cup to Ofo for sure class. <laughs> Great question. I knew that was coming. Did you? <laughs> I knew something. When you said the first two, I knew the last one was going to be something like that. <laughs> yeah. Ofo, Ofo for sure. <laughs> you you don't have to answer that. Um, let me give I you one did. different one. Um, with all these cold weather games, you got a cold weather story. Apple yeah. Cup 90-92 is, you know, definitely the one that I remember the most. Um, it was just, you know, we were, I think we were up 7-6 at halftime because they couldn't even handle the extra point. We made ours, and we're in the locker room like, no one's even moving. Like, we're, this game's over. So just shut them out in the second half. We're going to win 7-6 and go home. And then Bledsoe threw for like 300 yards in like the third quarter. Like, that was the most incredible performance I've ever seen. In, in the conditions because it wasn't just cold it was it was snowy the snow was blowing the snow was blowing sideways like it was really windy so that was crazy um another one was we played at Green Bay one year and they think they announced the the temperature kickoff was something like negative wind chill was like negative 20 or something and uh that was rough yeah is that just painful I mean what is that yeah. is that's just pain. Especially when you're in – that's why when we were discussing that Kansas City-Miami game, that's why I was on Kansas City. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, your body's acclimates. You know, like I struggled with the heat in Dallas. Like once you live there for a while, you, you're used to it, and then you're not used to the cold. Like it would be 50 degrees and you're freezing. Um, yeah, it hurts. You're, everything hurts. You know, you can't run. Uh, you know – the benches are really, really nice and comfy because they're heated. They have these little trap doors you, you kick your feet back into, and then your feet stay warm because otherwise your feet freeze. And so you'd be on the sidelines. I just remember thinking, I don't want to, I don't want them to score in this drive, but if they get one more first down, I'd be okay. <laughs> 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 hey Eric, of, of all your of all your accomplishments, you know, national championship, Super Bowl ring, uh, you got to put coming on the Sports Untold podcast up there, right? That that's got to be that's got to be really <laughs> high on that list. I'm I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, hey Eric, uh, I'm going to berate you again. Um, I still want to know a deceased sports figure in history. I'd love to have spent time with. You mentioned Pat Tillman's name has come up since I asked that question. Yeah, Summer Rawls' name. Uh, I'm going to go. With, I'm going to go with Tillman. Pat Tillman, love it, love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, there's only 343 baseball Hall of Famers. 343. That's nothing. I remember. I remember being there with a bunch of Giants fans. Who were like, Baumgartner needs to be in there. I'm like, dude, 
he's not going in. Yeah. Look at his numbers. Like they're not even close to where they need to be. Yeah, I agree. Every year you look at the NFL and it's just this list of like 12 guys, you know, and granted they're executives and some other folks, but baseball, it's, it's a grind. I mean, it's a, a couple. If, well, if it's I, also, there's also more measurables, I think in baseball. Right. And, yeah. and so you can argue stats, but football, it's a lot of subjectivity with like linemen and so forth. that don't have numbers. Sorry to shift back to baseball. No, no, Ray Guy, Ray Guy got into the football hall, famous a punter. Maybe why shouldn't a special teams guy or two get in? Just food for fun. Yeah, no, that's true. Good point. But I think Devin uh, Hester's Devin Hester's getting some some quite a bit of support. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're blocked, this, about the late Pat Tillman. You know, one thing I read about him, Eric, is that he was a very philosophical guy. He would like sit up in a in a football stadium and read Noam Chomsky. He was like really a. I mean, it's just amazing what he did volunteering to join the military and so sad what happened to him. But he did. Did you know him at all, Pat? You know, I didn't. I always yeah. respected him and played against yeah. him a few times. We played him twice a year. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 mean, I remember watching him in college. They seemed like between him and Archuleta and even Darren Woodson, ASU always had this like hybrid linebacker uh, uh, safety that would, you know, were successful in the NFL. Yeah. But never met him. Never spoke to him. Maybe, you know, said good game. That was about it. Right, right. He was what, what a fascinating guy he was. Yeah. Well, this has been – Eric, yeah. I can't get over how generous you've been with your time. Uh, yeah, no worries. Just incredibly generous with your time. Hey, I don't get asked to do interviews very often anymore, so, you know. <laughs> well, I'm honored to have big you of a deal. Fun, so it's been a lot of fun. Uh, ben, anything else before we wrap up? You know, just um, – what are you up to now? Just kind of talk about life after football. Um, you know, what's, uh, I was, I was, I was curious, kind of a longer answer. I was curious about the transition, you know, after the Raiders, it, you probably, that's probably an awkward, not easy transition to yeah. kind of normal life, you know? Um, Very hard. Yeah. I mean, after I got released from the Raiders, I got hurt in training camp. And it was a bummer because it was like the perfect situation for me. And they really wanted me to be their kind of second guy, that, you know, motion guy. And and uh, I just got hurt. I missed the whole preseason. And I just got released. And and uh, Gruden was super cool. He's like, you need me to call anybody? I will. Never did. But I spent another year trying to catch on and, and worked out. I was in shape for like a year. And I was ready to go. If I got the call, I never did. So get to a certain point where a whole new crop of rookies come in. And the numbers are harder and you're the veteran minimum is, you know, two or three X the rookie minimum. So why would we take this old guy and just fill it with a, with a young guy? So after a year, they got married, did some traveling. And then it was like, okay, now I get an idiot, a real job. And I spent a little bit of time, like I got a little money. I didn't make a lot of money, but I, you know, I get some, at least buy me some time to be selective. I'll find something I'm passionate about. It took me about six months to figure out that there's not much anything I'm passionate about is hard to make money in. <laughs> right? Um, now I just need to get a job and just start something. I had a buddy that did uh, really well in the MRI industry in, in Alabama and Louisiana. So I kind of partnered with him in a, in a local center here. Took me, spent a couple of years doing that. Mostly calling on doctors. Um, but realized like long-term it wasn't the best fit. So I had some friends that worked in employee benefits and I got into that about 17 years ago now and 
So now I work for like the last 11 years. I'm a benefits broker or a consultant. So I help companies set up their medical, dental, life disability plans and, uh, you know, manage it. We just, we just signed the Golden State Warriors as a new client. Um, you might get that golf result. round. You might get that golf round after all, B-E-B, with uh, <laughs> Steph. With Steph. Well, Steph's not on the benefits. He, you know, everyone else, the coaches are, though. Actually, that coach passed away, and we've been dealing with that the last couple of days. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a good gig. It's not like, you know, I'm not like super passionate about insurance, but it's a relationship-based business. I like my clients are great. Um, I don't have to travel a whole heck of a lot. I can coach my kids' teams and I can play golf periodically. And, you know, it's hard in the fourth quarter is a lot of hours, but overall it's a, it's a great lifestyle. And, you know, I'm sure that's the most your listeners will want to hear about it, but, uh, yeah, it's all good. Well, I'm going to finish on this. So I do have one more question. I'm yeah, go ahead. I don't know what's, what's in the future for Eric Bjornsson, anything cooking at all in your, in your, your life, your family's life. And I also want to ask you, um, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to get one more question in. Um, what do you think of Michael Penix finishing second in the Heisman Trophy vote this year? Well, I'll address that one first. It felt like, you know, I guess there's always a debate around the success of the team. And it seemed like he deserved to win it. But the guy who won, his numbers were just sheerly like insane. So I don't, I don't, I feel like, case could have been made for either way, you know, this really break it down the yards he put up, how many touchdowns, 30 something touchdowns, four picks. And he rushed for over a thousand. Like it was pretty crazy. Those numbers. So I don't know. It was a bummer, but I think Penix had a, just that three or four game rough patch where he wasn't completely lighting it up. That probably cost him. Um, And then, you know, I got three kids uh, sadly, my oldest is a senior in high school, and she's going to Oregon next year to play beach volleyball. So that's an adjustment. And then I've got two boys: one's a one's a sophomore, one's an eighth grader. They both play football, and and uh, yeah, living the burbs. It's all good out here. Love it, love it, Eric. Just wonderful to have you on. I mean, just this is my, this is my, I think my longest interview ever, and. Thanks for putting up with. Uh, well, that means I was I was verbose, so I no, well, wonderful, no, great, great, great answers. Learned so much, and uh, thanks for coming on the Sports Untold podcast. We'll all be in touch.